discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm your host Huang Shan, stepping in for He Yang. Good to have you along. Technology is altering almost every aspect of our lives. Education is no exception. Over the years, schools and teachers are actively adopting new technologies to help students reach their full potential. Recently, a conference held in Beijing on digital education has attracted public interest for promoting cutting-edge devices and a smart education environment. How will technology reform our education system and make the future of learning both tailored and equal? And a four-day work week. Is it too good to be true, especially for the massive amount of hardworking employees who have been overwhelmed by workplace burnout? Recently, the world's largest ever four-day workweek trial has just ended in the United Kingdom, and almost all of the companies that participated have decided to continue with the reduced working hours model. How widespread could the four-day workweek really be? Is it just a trend or here to stay? For today's program, I'm joined by Yu Xuan in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First, on today's show, technology is changing at a rapid pace, so much so that it's challenging to grasp. With the theme of digital transformation and future of education, this year's World Digital Education Conference has offered an outlook of how smart gadgets and advanced technologies can empower academic performance for every child. Josh and Yushun, I know both of you are extremely tech savvy, but before we dive into the pros and cons of digital education, Yushun, can you share with us what are some applications of smart technologies in education displayed in this conference that have caught your attention? Hmm, of course. Well, but first of all, I'm not that extreme <laughs> in tech. Okay, but anyway, according to a recent China Daily report, this. World Digital Education Conference was held in Beijing in mid-February 2023. This year, the theme is digital transformation and future of education, and a blue book was released by the China National Academy of Educational Sciences during the conference. So, some devices that really attracted people's attention, especially my attention, during the conference. For example, students now can wear some VR headsets or helmets to have some really virtual, stimulated experiences. And with the technology of 5G and high-definition camera, some real-time movement capturing can also be applied in some personal assessment in some lessons like PE. You know, so I think that is really futuristic. You know, when it is applied in education. Of course, I would say these applications sound so cool. It really gives me that futuristic vibe. I think in the past, these applications used to belong to sci-fi movies or fictional novels, but now we are seeing these with our own eyes, and these are the reality. Ah,、uh, in the country in China, I think using scientific and technological means to change education has been written into the top design of the country. It is part of the agenda. We are living in the era of information, intelligent campuses, integrated intelligent teaching, remote learning. It's no longer far fetched, but modern technology and digital education are very broad terms. So, Josh, for everyday people like us. We may not find such smart advancements are that relatable. Do you have some examples with regard to the application of technologies in education, no matter in China, in the UK, or in the US? I think one of the most obvious technologies that we need to speak about is AR, augmented reality, and also VR, which is virtual reality, and there's also MR, which is mixed reality, and all of these different realities. And I think the most Stereotypical image that we have in our mind of someone experiencing this is with some sort of headset, right? So, if students are actually going to engage in this type of learning, then the school needs to be able to provide them with those facilities. And this technology is not new; time is very relative, but it's been around for a, a while, I would say, at least in terms of the length of the technological revolution. But using it in the classroom, this is still really up for debate whether 
the pros outweigh the cons here, but the pros are amazing. And what I mean by amazing is that it offers students the opportunity to really be in the environment that they're learning about. Subjects like geography and history in particular come to mind here, allowing students, for example, to walk around the ancient ruins of Rome and to go to the tops of the Himalayas and maybe see the rivers and how a glacier melts and then goes down and ends up in the ocean and all of these things that I've forgotten the terminology of because <laughs> maybe because I didn't have VR in my geography classroom. I actually got an A in that subject, if you can believe it. Anyway, um, and, and there's other technologies as well, actually. Of course, artificial intelligence uh, is could play a huge role, but as we've debated on this yeah. show many times, whether <laughs> that actually is going to be a tool that helps students to formulate their own critical thinking and write their own essays, uh, it's yet to be seen. Also, things like 5G technology and just having this instantaneous connection um, and super fast um, speed between uh, the technology and the student. For example, things like, and I know this will be very controversial, but things like having holographic teachers in real time, right? Yeah. Who can specialize in specific subjects. This combined with artificial intelligence, computer learning, which eventually will allow the teacher to completely personalize that learning experience for the student. I mean, is it gonna replace the real teacher? I imagine that this technology probably, probably could uh, if we allowed it to at some point. So yeah, amazing, but Controversial. Yeah, you have your concerns. That's the reality. All technologies live on a spectrum of good and evil, useful and harmful. But one thing for sure, nowadays we are seeing the growing role of tech in classrooms, not only in China, but around the world. So you have mentioned several terms and we are so familiar with such terms like artificial intelligence or even chatbots, video learning. These are some popular friends when we are talking about digital education. Um, and even for me, I think not only for students, like my colleagues and I, sometimes we are using such AI powered uh, apps. For example, one thing is that the AI powered language learning platform called Duolingo, and we are using that app to enrich our learning experience. And this is also one of the most downloaded education apps globally. Um, so this platform has like a challenging notion of traditional learning because it can give you the opportunity to learn a second foreign language or even your third foreign language. It will update you your progress and everything. You can share it online and trying to compete with your peers. So now these tools or gadgets are so popular and they have offered us a very easy access so everyone it seems like can have a try like to see whether these apps or gadgets are useful helpful so i mean maybe if we go back to primary schools junior highs or senior highs so for them how can the introduction of technology bridge the gaps in the classroom and improve the learning experience? So in your opinion, in your vision, what does a smart classroom look like? Well, first of all, I have to say that nowadays, everybody like lives in China witnessed the improvement and the development of technology in the area of education, right? Because I can remember that um, back then, when I was in primary school, at the beginning, we can only have these desktops gathered in one classroom. Mm. And um, I can clearly remember that that classroom is called New Media <laughs> Classroom, because at that time, these technologies are quite new. And then we had the uh, projector in the classrooms mm. and then a fixed computer in the front of the classroom so that teachers can put some PowerPoints and documents on the computer and so that they didn't need to write down everything but to type down everything for us. And now we can see students can not only have their own personal computers, they can even have their own individualized and personalized and customized learning schedule, mm -hmm. right? Um, and homework, right? And it's absolutely a, a breakthrough in terms of teaching students in accordance with their aptitude, right? So I think these kind of um, improvement and development is the way that we can see the 
combination between education and、um, technology, right? Yes, I think in the past we are using that traditional way of learning and teaching, but that leads to some problems. That's the reason why now we are crazy for introducing cutting-edge technologies into the learning scene. Very simple example, for instance,、uh, homework. This has been a difficulty for teachers, students, and parents who give guidance to children. And many complain that offering guidance to children while doing homework has even become a trigger of family conflicts. And there was even some examples saying that a parent was hospitalized who had cardiac stents at last because of the parents was so busy and so frustrated while accompanying the kids to do his or her. Homework, and、mm. it not only shows the heavy homework burden, but also reflects the unified homework cannot satisfy the unique features and situations of different students. This also reminds me of a horror comedy I recently watched that is called Megan.、Yeah. This actually showed us a very scary picture of how you can involve a chatbot into the learning scenario. Then, yeah. This super advanced AI will offer customized, tailor-made、uh, learning curriculums for your kid, and this so-called chatbot could be the best friend of your kid, even, and it can relieve the burden from you. However, your kid will lose the opportunity to interact with other kids of his or her own age, and also, I think communication is one of the most important parts of the learning curve.、Um, so, Josh. Do you have some examples? Because I know you were a teacher before. So how do you think by introducing such cutting-edge technologies or smart gadgets into the classrooms can make teachers' job easier and also boost the performance of students? Well, I'm going to be really honest.、Um, although I appreciate how amazing this technology is, I myself, who taught history, <laughs> actually that was my、mm. subject, probably wouldn't. Use this technology,、um, and would re- refrain from using it in any other way aside from helping with admin. <laughs> Now, if you ever talk to a teacher, things like marking and organizing all of this stuff, lesson planning, and all of this kind of thing, it really depends on what level you're teaching. So, whether it's primary school, high school, senior high school, university, or whatever, but、um, a lot of this work. Is I, in my opinion, quite unnecessary, and、um, because it's so important for students to have all of their records in line and things like this, I think that when it comes to marking,、uh, I would be a big fan of getting this technology really involved with that. But as we've discussed on this show as well, this is also open to abuse from teachers who not doing their job properly, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got to be careful. But I think that. Actually, a lot of this technology, especially when it comes to AR and VR and MR, I think we're actually talking more about younger students.、Um, whereas when you get to older levels, and、uh, I was teaching at a university, I don't think I would have really used AR in that classroom because I think by that point, now that doesn't mean that I think that lessons can't be more engaging, but I think by that point, using AR. To teach students how to write critically and how to analyze quite complex pieces of writing, I think that the reality—I might sound a bit old school here—but that is just really hard to do. And I think it means that you have to actually force yourself to focus and reckon with that document. And yeah, so、uh, I, I wouldn't use it for that level. I wouldn't use it. No. Yes, and talking about the education level, of course, a lot of these advanced technologies are focusing on primary schools or middle schools. But there are also some technologies that are focusing on universities. I think、uh, one thing is that the MOOC, which is the acronym for Massive Open Online Courses, I've been actually using this system since I was in university, and.、Um, Statistics show that China ranks first globally in both number of massive open online courses and number of open online course attendees.、Mm. According to the report released at the World Digital Education Conference, the number of 
the MOOC available in China has exceeded 64,500, and these courses have received more than 1 billion visits so far. So with this kind of system, you can see classes lectured by professors all around the world, which means even if you are not studying in a like top-notch university, you can also have lessons there. I think it's it's such a good way to, you know, distribute the education resources and everybody can have the chance, the equal chance to reach these kind of education resources. Yeah, we have achieved several advancements in this field and uh, it's also bringing closer of two sectors. One is uh, the tech sector, the other one is the education sector. Um, recently, we all know that ChatGPT is definitely the hottest buzzword in the tech sector. You may know that this is a part of a new set of AI technologies that use a large language model to generate conversational text to produce anything from simple answers to elaborate essays, scripts, poems, language code, and much more. Um, we know that Tech insiders, they're so excited about this new invention, this new technology. Several college professors, on the contrary, they are sounding the alarm after catching students using the new AI chatbot to cheat in exams. So I think this is one of the many examples. Apparently, the immersive as well as the immense power this technology holds is a double-edged sword, especially in a school environment. Well, apparently this is a great invention, but many students are using this tool for plagiarism or to facilitate their academic performance in a bad way. So my question here is that what are some downsides of digital education? Definitely we have painted a pretty rosy picture for the development and application of such technologies. But in the meantime, what are some downsides of this development? Yeah, I think there are several downsides. And as I mentioned just now, I myself am a little bit skeptical as to whether or not all of these technologies, because learning is quite complex and there's different subjects, right? And some subjects are just genuinely really hard. And I, I don't know if this technology is always going to be the best way for students to learn. Um, and students learn in different ways. Now, this technology can definitely make learning more immersive and arguably more interesting, but I'm not sure how effective it's going to be in the long term. For example, teaching students how to think critically, how to process large pieces of information um, and analyze that and then formulate arguments and answer complex questions and apply their knowledge. I'm not so sure, but I think in a lot of practical ways, practical skills, I think it could be very useful. Also, as Yushun mentioned, uh, we don't know which schools exactly are going to have these facilities. It could, it could make education even more divided in terms of resources and in terms of quality. And I know that many countries around the world have been trying to tackle this issue about inequality in mm. education and the quality of schools, the quality of teachers. If we suddenly bring in all this new tech, is this going to make it even worse? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. And also, I think just generally, if we focus on something like AR and on tech, I personally, one of the reasons that I love teaching and one way that I think is the best way to get students to actually remember and learn information is to work together in a group and communicate with one another and complete a task together. First of all, group work and working in a team is a vital skill in most industries. It's something that you've got to learn to do. But also I've found that if they manage to find the answer together, they've got a better chance at doing so. But also they end up remembering it more because they've worked out how to get there themselves. I think a lot of this technology doesn't particularly encourage socializing and group work. It's quite isolationist, I think. And I, I often, you know, literally with VR goggles, you couldn't be more alone, could you? But I mean, even if you're taking something like a tablet or something like that, the student's focus is quite insulated. And I, I worry that this is quite a big downside as well, especially for really young learners. I don't like the idea of lots of young students having these VR goggles on and not really talking to one another, because I think that's such an important 
part of education. Yushun, what do you think? What are some of the challenges we are facing? Yes, of course. One point that I would like to echo what Josh just said is that the coverage of the advanced technologies in rural areas, of course, it is essential to prioritize the construction of digital education infrastructure in rural, remote, impoverished areas. Of course, in like cities, metropolis like Shanghai, Beijing, it's easy、mm. to conduct these kind of、uh, facilities. But in some rural areas, it's of course need to be taken into consideration. And another thing is that. I was thinking the customization, of course, is going to be very helpful, and、um, it can release a lot of burden on both parents and students. But there should be a same and standardized bottom line、um, of knowledge that students need to master. Because if students didn't learn very well, and the customization just let them like stop learning, then.、Mm. Um, then I don't think it's very good for their academic development, and、um, of course, the students who are good at studying can learn more. But the ones who don't, I think they at least need to grasp a certain amount of knowledge, but not just according to the customization. Yeah, one thing I can think of one of the problems could be myopia,、mm-hmm. because you know, with more use of the digital devices, will students have poor eyesight? I think this is a question worth asking because, according to a 2022 Xinhua report, the National Health Commission said the prevalence of myopia among Chinese preschoolers and young students was around 52.7 percent in 2020, and the figure among primary school students rose relatively faster. If we are putting more Smart gadgets into the scenario, and we are encouraging students to use more digital devices. Of course, they will be exposed to the screens. And if you would like to promote a screen-free day in the school or in the house, that will be very, very hard. And what if the students are getting more and more addicted to such digital devices, and you cannot control the content? On such apps or on such gadgets, there are always loopholes. So I think the law, the regulations need to keep up with the development of such technologies. So I think in the future, the classroom will be in a hybrid mode. I mean, you still prefer some of the traditional teaching methods, while you would like to introduce cutting edge technologies to support and facilitate. The teaching process in order to、uh, improve the academic performance of students. So, are there some areas where a teacher in a classroom has no digital substitute? For example, young children who do not respond to remote learning. Do you think even if we would like to introduce more、um, smart devices, smart technologies into the classroom scene, but some parts just don't work? Yeah, and I I think that the reality. Is that you have to have this technology in the classroom at some point because if you were to deprive students of that, then how are they going to survive in the real world? Right? It's just、yeah. uh, for better or for worse. This is the reality. So I understand your question though about whether there's no substitute、um, for for certain students. I, I'm not exactly sure about that.、Um, I think that every student is different, and I do think that a lot of this technology. Does cross over not just in education but also in healthcare, and I think that there's a lot, a lot of the research and developments that technological developments that have gone into things like AI, computer learning, AR, VR in the healthcare system is probably also going to be very useful in education as well, especially with students who do need、uh, that kind of extra attention. So,、um, yeah, I think that it definitely does need to exist. Uh, in some regard, but I agree with you that we must be careful to、mm-hmm. hold this balance. I think that there still needs to be a lot of time away from it. Of course, there's no doubt that the introduction of digital education requires solid financial and talent support. As this trend is getting more and more common, I hope. It can narrow the digital divide between students in urban and rural areas in the near future. You're listening to Roundtable with me, Huang Shan, joined by Josh Cotterell and Yu Shun. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. 
You're listening to Roundtable with me, Huang Shen, joined by Josh Cotterill and Yu Shun. Coming up, the results of the UK's four-day work week pilot program are out, with participants reporting no loss of productivity and creativity during the experiment, and in some cases have seen a significant improvement. What are the costs and benefits of switching to a four-day work week? What's your take on this trend? What's more, Chinese society has had a long tradition of respecting the old and caring for the young, which prompts young and healthy people to offer their seats to those people in need. If you see a person with a disability, an elderly person, or a pregnant woman on a crowded bus or subway, should you give up your seat? Why has this generated chatter on Chinese social media? You can share with us your thoughts by rating and reviewing the show at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts, and our email address is ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. That's where you can send us voice questions to take part in the weekly Heart to Heart segment. Now on Roundtable. The results of the UK's four-day work trial are trending online, as the experiment yields overwhelming success in the country. Media reports highlight that most of the companies that participated in this pilot program from June to December will maintain shorter working hours, and that most employees were less stressed and had better work-life balance. Is it possible to complete the same amount of work in four days as you can in five? What are some details about the experiment? So, Josh, tell us more. Yeah, well, the results have been overwhelmingly positive. It <laughs> yes, seems, at least from the employees' point of view, and also the businesses as well.、Um, and it seems like the vast majority of these firms that have tried this plan to stick with. The four-day work week, and so it really does、uh, present us with an interesting question here about whether other companies should follow suit. And I think that many people are really in favour of this.、Uh, some details about the experiment that I can give you:、uh, this was the largest trial of a four-day work week in the world ever, and according to the research result, which was jointly published by the advocacy group Four Day Week Global in collaboration with Autonomy. A research organization focused on the future of work and researchers at Boston College and the University of Cambridge. It included roughly 2,900 workers at 61 companies. These were non-profit companies, manufacturers, finance firms, and even a fish and chip shop in the UK. And it ran from June to December of last year. So it's quite important to note. You know, it's the biggest trial in the world. Sounds pretty big, but. It's not massive, I, I would say,、mm. um, and it only ran for these few months. All right. Anyway, the companies that participated、uh, could adopt different methods in this experiment to meaningfully, quote unquote, meaningfully shorten their employees' work weeks. So this could be giving them one day a week off extra to reduce their working days in a year,、um, which averaged averaged out at around thirty-two hours per week. But they had to ensure that their employees still received 100% of their pay. Charlotte Lockhart, co-founder and managing director of Four Day Week Global, said that it was a quote-unquote resounding success of the UK pilot program, and that it mirrors earlier efforts in Ireland and the USA. Oh wow! This is amazing. Who doesn't want a four-day right work week? <laughs> right. I'm really jealous. And so Ushun. Yeah. What do you think? What are employees' attitude or reaction towards experiments, and why do you think most employers participated in this pilot program are also welcoming the change? Because I can understand employees like us will、mm. definitely embrace this change, but why? Why employers are also on board? Yeah, first of all, from the perspective of employees, of course, obviously the physical and mental well-being has. Improved, of course. Employees reported benefits with seventy-one percent less burned out, thirty-nine percent less stressed, and forty-eight percent more satisfied with their job than before the trial. That's according to the data of these findings.、Mm. Um, and of the workers, sixty percent said it was easier to balance work and responsibilities at home, while seventy-three percent reported increased satisfaction with their lives. And the findings also show that fatigue was down. People were sleeping more, and mental health improved. 
And uh, the reason why the employers also would like to use this kind of strategy permanently is that I think the revenue remains the same and some even increased for companies that rolled out the shorter work hours, whether it was one less workday or a week or longer hours in parts of the year and shorter hours the rest of the time to make an average 32-hour week, revenue wasn't affected. According to the findings, revenue grew 1.4% over the course of the trial for 23 companies that provided adequate data weighted for the size of the business, while a separate 24 companies saw revenue climb more than 34% from the same six-month period a year earlier. So I think that is obviously the reason why people are welcoming these kind of uh, new changes. Yeah, and less quitting has been seen because for those uh, who participated in the trial, there was a drop in the likelihood of employees quitting down 57% compared with the same period a year earlier, as well as those calling out sick, asking for sick leaves, down 65% from a year ago. This is according to the findings. So this is a great way to demonstrate your corporate culture because you are choosing this campaign to showcase how much you care about uh, the welfare, the sense of satisfaction, the sense of fulfillment of your employees. You do care about their work-life balance because this is, has been an ongoing debate of are you going to choose a job for the money, I mean the decent payment, or a more balanced lifestyle. So I think after the pandemic, many people are rethinking what are their priorities at work and what they would like to achieve in both work and their personal life. There's a long list of benefits brought by the four-day work week. And the other thing I can think about is the productivity because when people are not exhausted, they're not overwhelmed by the intensive workload, it will give them more motivation to be creative. When they're creative, they will bring in better results to your corporate performance. But what are some of the merits you can think of? We have talked about several. And uh, why do you think, right, everyone, maybe not everyone, this could be a little bit biased, but I think the majority of people, they would like to switch to this four-day work week. Yeah, I imagine so. And to be honest, I, I don't see so many cons here. Uh, mm. When I was reading up for this program, uh, I, I was trying to find some negatives here and I can't see any personally. Uh, and I wonder for you guys if, if you agree with me on this. I, I see, of course, that there may be some downsides for employers uh, who are trying to micromanage. For me, I, I would call it micromanaging and yeah. just having their employees at work all of the time and um, trying to control and discipline them in this way. But other than that, which I think is a negative anyway. I don't see any negatives at all to this at all. I think that this this whole week in general, the seven day work week is a is a human construct and it's a product of the industrial revolution, um, a time when people were overworked extremely, I think. And I think that in it might be about time in human history that we use the technological revolution and we, we move on from the industrial revolution and work more efficiently and enjoy our lives more. So, yeah, do you guys see any serious cons to this? I think the thing is that will it be suitable for some of the industries? Mm. Because there are, of course, industries that can't institute shorter hours because they need workers round the clock, right? Such as nurses, teachers, and first responders. And interestingly, I saw um, an example that's from New Zealand or an, an organization involved in the dairy industry stated that Employees in the agricultural sector are not suitable for this type of work because cows and sheep wouldn't say that they only work for four days and rest for three days. So, you know, the, in these kind of areas and industries, you cannot just immediately switch to a four day workday strategy because um, there will be a lot of uh, conflicts and um, collisions, I think, when you are turning into a different mode when it has been applied for so many years? Uh, I would say the equality could be part of the arguments because if a four-day work week is gaining traction, 
This is a concept that might widen existing inequalities between knowledge workers, white collar workers, and flexible or many workers who are usually paid based on the time they spend working. So many people have been paid by how many hours they have worked. Over the years, we are talking about this issue, and especially for some industries, it's impossible for them to participate in this pilot program because. Let's say we shouldn't have mentioned several industries or sectors, and also the sectors that require a twenty-four-seven presence or other similar scheduling for optimal flow. Making a four-day work week is very hard for them to implement. And if they would like to have the enough manpower for each shift, they need to invest more in hiring a larger number of employees. This will definitely bring up the costs. A company needs to shoulder. So I don't know how many employers would like to take part in this initiative, and there are definitely several factors have hindered the wide adoption of this work model. Well, I know the risk is that it could be very expensive, but based on the feedback, it seems like the majority of People being interviewed, they are welcoming this trend. I'm very happy to see for this trial, for this pilot program, they even include a fish and chip shop. So、mm. you know that's very important. We are not only expanding this、uh, trial to companies like an international corporation or a super big corporation, but they are very inclusive. So they would like to、uh, invite a fish and chip shop into the experiment. This is very very promising, I think.、Um, but you know, there's another report from Sixtone which quoted. An annual survey titled "Chinese College Graduates Employment Report of 2022," which is conducted by MyCost Research, which is a research group. That report has suggested that young Chinese they prioritize work-life balance, so they would like to accept less pay, but they would like to go for a job that offers them more flexibility. For example, a four-day work schedule. So. What has China done in terms of workday policy? Do we have such an attempt, or is any company they are、uh, employee friendly enough to try this new work mode? Yes, actually, some companies were promoting these kind of two point five days weekend. One of the examples is that、uh, companies in Nanjing, which is in Jiangsu Province, they have these kind of、um, trial also. Um, of a 4.5 day workday before in 2020. Also, we I think we discussed this before.、Um, the Lua TV video company、mm. they also tried this kind of a work mode with a 4.5 day workday, and、um, everybody was applauding this kind of a new strategy, and the employees were also saying that they are profiting with these kind of change.、Um, but I think. A lot of these change they are happening in some private companies, but when you have to consider it in a wider scale, in a societal scale, there are so much more things to be taken into consideration, right? And according to the Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security, the current working hour system and standards are formulated based on comprehensive consideration of factors such as population. Employment, economic development level, and people's living habits, which is conducive to realizing the balance between workers' right to health, right to rest, and right to employment. And、um, these kind of changes, further shortening of working hours, should be based on economic development, scientific and technological progress, and productivity improvement, and fully consider. The social and economic development level and the ability of enterprises. So, of course, we can see the benefits of these changes. But when we are thinking about applying it in a wider scale, we need to think about more. Yeah, and Josh, you have been living in China and working in China、mm-hmm. for several years, right? Do you think this four-day work week is easy to be promoted and introduced in China's workplace? Well, I have two answers to that question because I think that, of course, it could work. Yeah. Because a lot of industry is similar the world over. The way, but the way people conduct work、uh, is is slightly different. But of course, an advertising company based in、um, a first tier city like Beijing 
um, that's uh, very advanced will have similar goals to an advertising company in London, right? And people may argue with me on this point, but I'm talking fundamentally as a, a corporate business. I think that if that four-day work week would work in London, I think it could just as easily, however easy that is, work in a city like Beijing. Now, do I think it could be easily implemented from a cultural point of view, in my experience? It doesn't seem so to me, to be honest. In my experience, having worked in China for full-time for nearly five years now, I have found that working hours are quite the opposite of flexible in and that's my subjective evaluation of this coming from the united kingdom in that i don't really know when my work day even ends even if i'm supposed to be working five days a week it feels like i'm working seven days a week all the time just because of how often i'm being contacted to work certain hours etc and i do know that to some degree it balances itself out. For example, napping at work is one thing that I can give as a solid example. That's seen as pretty much okay in most uh, companies in China. You can sleep at working time. Um, but in the West, that's seen as very unusual. So does it all balance itself out? I don't know. And so to, in one way, yes, it could easily be implemented. But in another way, I don't think it would be that easy, just given how time and clocking in and out sort of works in China. It seems to be such a gray area in, in Chinese work culture to me. So I, I'm not so sure. What do you guys think? Do you agree with me? Yeah, I, I totally think it depends on the industry and uh, how generous the employer could be. And sometimes many uh, employees, they even failed to use their annual leave. So I think everyone should work hard and play hard. This is the way to maintain your work-life balance. And over the years, especially in the past two, three years, many employees around the world are experiencing that workplace burnout. Sometimes we need to give ourselves we need to give ourselves a mental break. Uh, this is a great way for your uh, sustainable development in the career setting. And also, I think I would like to share the philosophy of many French people. You know, we work to leave, not leave to work. So I hope in the future, the four day work week could be widely promoted. But I know there are so many challenges and obstacles in the way. You're listening to Roundtable coming up next. Giving up your seat on the bus or train to those in need. Is this a virtual or an obligation? Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable. Where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of roundtable with myself, Hongshan, Yushun, and Josh Cotterell. Video footage has gone viral recently in which an elderly gentleman, maybe not that so gentle in this case, was seen on a bus scolding a young lad for not offering him his seat. Some of the words were so hurtful that the young man was obviously distressed and started weeping. The incident, just like a handful of similar cases that happened before, has sparked heated debate as to who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Yushun, can you tell us more about what has happened in this video? Yeah, according to the post of this video on social media platform Weibo, the incident happened on February 25th in the central Chinese city of Changsha. In the video clip, the elderly clad in a black down jacket and wearing a baseball cap was incensed at a young man who may have previously refused to give up his seat for him. The footage lasts only about a minute, so we don't quite know the full story, but from what we can see, However, the senior citizen seems to have indeed been a little bit overreacting, whereas the young person, despite all the verbal abuse directed at him, appears to have exercised perfect calm and restraint. And on the internet, uh, the netizens also have different opinions on this issue. Some are saying that what the young man did was perfectly fine because mm. to offer his seat is solely a gesture of goodwill and it's not an obligation. Uh, some other opinions are saying young people are supposed to take care of the elders. It's part of our culture. 
Also, maybe it's the lad's fault for sitting in a seat reserved for senior citizens because we can see some of the you know different colors of the seats on the bus. Maybe they're reserved for the elderly people. Yeah, I know in different countries the etiquette is different. Ah,、uh, Josh, in your opinion, what's your take on this? Should the young guy offer his seat to the elderly? I think generally, my answer would be yes,、mm. especially if the seat is designated for. Elderly persons, or pregnant women, or people with disabilities, I, I think that you should offer your seat. Yeah, but it's been interesting researching this because I've been trying to find some alternate opinions, and I found some quite interesting ones. And also, I think that here we're talking about seats that are not paid for, right? Because I think that sometimes people actually pay for their seat, and if it's a long journey home, I can kind of understand, like if you've paid for it. Why you might want to stay in your seat, and also not every disability、uh, or discomfort is visible, right? But I did find quite an interesting piece of research, which I must say, disclaim before I say it, I do find it a little bit patronising.、Um, <laughs> but according to Sir Muir Gray, who's、mm. a clinical advisor to Public Health England, he's spoken out to say that the elderly should try to walk for ten minutes a day. And relatives should encourage them to take the stairs instead of a lift or an escalator. And also, the Oxford professor claimed that old people should be encouraged to stand because it helps their health. So、mm. I'm not sure if I agree with、uh, this Oxford professor on this, and I'm not sure if this kind of study is particularly helpful in inspiring empathy and kindness in society. But that's one argument, right? Not my own opinion, but that's one to play devil's advocate. Personally, I think that we should respect our elders. I'm a little bit old school with this. I think we should be quite sensitive to it. Maybe they don't want to be offered a seat. Maybe they're not as old as they look, right? But if you see someone, I think you should use your best judgment. And if they're struggling to stand, and if it looks like they could really benefit from sitting down, I I think 99% of the time, yeah, you should give up your seat. This、And、is a very interesting argument with scientific proof.、Uh, I remember when I was、uh, in a very small American city called Tallahassee, and I had to take the bus every day to go to the shopping mall or to do my grocery shopping. And then one of my American classmates told me that whenever you are on a bus, don't give the seat to the elderly because it may be interpreted into a very Insulting、uh, behavior because maybe in the states and many elderly people they do have that、uh, value of being independent and if you are giving them seats and if you are trying to offer your seats to them, they may think you are belittling them. They may think you are considering them as old. As the one who are in need, but actually they don't want to be interpreted in that way. So in a culture that highlights the importance of independence, maybe this is not acceptable, and you are doing that from a goodwill. However, the message might be distorted、uh, through the interpretation. So Bishun, what do you think? Yeah, and I think it should be based on mutual understanding because young people. They need to be aware of the fact that most of the elders are physically less fit than them, so it's naturally they expect、um, them to prioritize their needs in a public setting.、Um, but seniors also they should not take this social norm for granted, right? Chinese laws don't stipulate that a young person must give up their seats for an elder on public transport. So I think the elderly people should. Also, be mindful that sometimes a young person may not abandon their seat if they happen to have a medical condition or are simply too tired after a long workday. Because the the seat that with a different color reserved for not only older people but、mm. also the physically impaired people and pregnant women, right? So the the both sides need to have a mutual understanding so that they can reduce the amount of quarrels. I think. Yes, and、uh, actually, I found the public reactions are very interesting because this 
very simple case has received mixed reviews, and people are posting polarized reactions. And maybe that's the reason why we are talking about this video clip today. But I do think now in every carriage of the subway. There are priority seats. Usually, they are reserved for elderly people, people with disabilities, or pregnant women. So I've seen so many people, especially the really young buff guys, are occupying such seats. Well, when people who belong to that group, that category, who need that priority seat. They refuse to stand up and give the seats to people who are in need. So I think maybe it's a time for us to improve our priority seat etiquette.、Um, so Josh, what do you think? What can we do to help people who are really in need、uh, when they need a seat in a very crowded carriage? Well, I know it's hard to solve the problem because it depends on each individual's reaction and attitude. It is hard to solve the problem, and of course, it's not always. Some people might be quite embarrassed about it, and they might not want to cause a scene. And I think the majority of people are actually like that, right? They might be in discomfort, but they may not want to tell everybody in in a public place that they're in discomfort and that they want the seat, right? So I think really one of the only things that we can do is to yes have these designated areas for people that need to sit in them and make it quite strict for. These areas, you know, I I think that probably I think that nobody should be allowed to sit in those seats, those seats that are designated、mm. for people that need them. They're usually a different color, and I do often see that people sit in them. But I think that even if nobody sat in them, you shouldn't be allowed to sit in them unless you really need to. And I think that etiquette like that is probably quite important because it just it saves a lot of hassle and it saves a lot of awkwardness for people because. If nobody sat there, then you know it makes it a bit easier. It just makes the chances a bit、uh, lower of having this kind of awkward confrontation. But otherwise, I do think that it is quite difficult. There are some initiatives in certain cities around the world. I know where people they have a card or a badge or something、um, that they can show to people.、Um, I know that in the United Kingdom, for example, if you have Stomach issues. If you have something like irritable bowel syndrome or something, I know that you can have a card, and it's not really the law in every place, I think. But you can walk into any establishment and ask to use the bathroom, right? If you show them this card, things like this, I think, are quite good. But not everybody wants to disclaim that information, right? So, yeah, I don't have the definite answer here, but there's some of my ideas. Yeah. Well said. That brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much for your company. You can find us on Apple Podcast at Roundtable China. Thank you, Yushun and Josh Cotterell, for joining the show. See you next time.